Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. As you sit down, go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we have been studying, if you're new, we've been studying verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. We're going to continue that today. And as you turn to Mark chapter 4, I want to ask you a question. I want you to kind of think through introspectively the answer to this question. What do you think of when you hear the word authority? Some groans in the room, probably. Some excitement in the room, probably. Authority. Maybe you're here today and you are somebody who has authority. All parents in the room say, amen, we got some authority. Maybe you're somebody professionally who has authority. You're a boss. You have people that report to you. Maybe you're somebody under authority. You are not the boss and you report to somebody else. We've all experienced authority. There's institutional authority. There's, there's governmental authority. And, and let's be honest, because we live in a fallen world, everything is tainted by sin and therefore is broken. So everything to some level of authority is, is tainted. Everything of this world has been broken in a sense from sin. And so authority is sometimes very helpful. But I know today some of you have felt authority that's been very hurtful. Authority has been seen very good and authority has been used very bad. This idea of authority, I I looked up the definition this week as we begin this conversation. This is what the dictionary says about authority. The, The power to enforce laws, exact obedience, there's strong words, command, determine, or judge. Every teenager in the room said, yuck, that's what I feel all the time, authority. I start that way because I I wanna remind us as followers of Jesus that there is broken authority in the world that we live in because of sin, but we as followers of Christ have an ultimate authority. It is the word of God. It is our authority for faith and practice. The spirit of God gave us a book called the word of God and that's our ultimate authority as followers of Jesus. And it tells us of the good and right and perfect authority that God has over his people. Specifically in the New Testament, authority is is looked at in a couple different ways. Many of you know the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and there's two different words that speak to this idea of authority that's important, not only for our conversation today, but also for the next several weeks in our study of the Gospel of Mark. The first Greek word having to do with this idea of authority that points to this idea of authority is the Greek word exousia. There's a great Greek word for you. Now you know Greek. You can flex that at work tomorrow. Exousia. It's a word that means ultimate authority because of your position. So we said parents have authority. A lot of you amen that. I have authority over Bryce, Avery, Blaine, and Aria. Ultimate authority. (laughs) 
Because of my position as their dad, what does that mean? That means that if I tell my kids, go clean your room, here's what I'm not saying to my kids. Hey, let's get in a room and have a discussion about that. (laughs) No, 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 do it. (laughs) Because I am your authority based on my position as your dad. That's exousia authority. There's another word that speaks to this idea of authority in the Greek language, and it's the word dunamis. We get our English word dynamite. This is an idea that speaks of explosive authority or power. When I thought about these two Greek words, I thought we see these played out week in and week out, or at least we did the last several months in the game of football. I think I thought about that this week because I'm a little sad that we don't get it for another seven months, but we, we, we did have it. We watched both of these authorities play out every single week on, our, week on our screens. How? Well, the people with the dunamis authority are the players, the massive human beings that none of us ever want to get hit by, pads or not. These are powerful figures, dunamis authority, hitting each other, trying to score touchdowns, dunamis authority. But if you've ever watched the game of football, you know that as big as these guys are, they do not have the ultimate authority on the field. You see, the ultimate authority, the exousia authority belongs to the little dudes in the pinstripe suits (laughs) that are way smaller than the big guys, but they got the whistle and the flags and they have ultimate authority. Authority. Why? Because they can blow that whistle or throw that flag and in a moment's notice send one of those really big human beings to the sidelines or kick them out of the game altogether. They may not be as powerful, a dunamis kind of power, but they have exousia, ultimate authority on the field. And I bring that up today because we're going to turn the page in our study of the Gospel of John today. And for the next several weeks, we are gonna look at many stories specifically talking about the authority, the unbelievable authority of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He has both kinds of authority. We see stories where Jesus is flexing his dunamis, powerful authority. But over the next several weeks, we're gonna see him as God and man express and flex his exousia, ultimate authority because of his position as God. In a couple weeks, we'll see him in a moment's notice blowing the proverbial whistle and healing a man plagued with demons in his life. And in a moment's notice, because of the exousia of Jesus, he is no longer plagued with demonic activity in his life. In a couple weeks, we're gonna see in a moment's notice, Jesus throws the proverbial flag and a a woman with a a decades-long condition in her body literally touches Jesus's garment and in a moment, her body is fully restored. Exousia. In a few weeks, we will see Jesus calls the proverbial play and a religious leader named Jairus His daughter is literally raised from the dead. She is dead. No pulse, planning funeral services. She is gone. And Jesus steps into an impossible situation and he raises this little girl from the dead. Exousia. Ultimate authority. 
His position is so that these things can happen. And as we will see in our story today, in his authority, even the wind and the waves bow at his voice. So Mark chapter four, I'm gonna pick it up in verse 35. By the way, I always tell you to turn in your Bibles. I hope you actually turn in your Bibles, whether that's physical or on your app. I want us to have our faces in the book. I want us to be people that are following along with this passage of scripture. So we're gonna read these verses. Yes, they'll be on the screen, but get your Bibles open. Let's get our face in the book. Mark chapter four, starting at verse 35. Here's what it says. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord for us today, praying the spirit of God takes it and changes us with it. What's going on here in our story of Mark? What's going on, if you go back a few verses, they've been doing ministry, tons and tons of ministry, teaching and talking and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And at the end of a very long day of ministry, Jesus tells his disciples, guys, let's go to the other side of this sea. It's actually a lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's a lake there in Israel. He says, let us go to the other side. Don't miss it because of what's coming. He intends that they will get to the other side. Pick it up in verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat, and he, just as he was, and the other boats were with them. Now, we're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but I can't just walk past it. It says, leaving the crowd. Always wanna draw your attention to that. We see this time and time again in Jesus' life. He always seems to be leaving the crowd. Now, why would he do that? Come on, Jesus, you're like, a, you're like an influencer now. <laughs> You're going viral everywhere. Everyone wants to hear what you're saying, and yet you continue to leave the crowd for these smaller groups of people. And I just want to remind us as a church, Jesus is doing this on purpose. Jesus is not interested in people fanboying on his miracles, leaning in half-hearted with no desire to actually follow. He doesn't care how many people are doing that. He's interested in the core group of people that are actually ready and willing to do what he says, to be what he calls disciples. So he leaves the crowd. Then we see this section about a terrifying storm, Jesus's authority over the storm, and then the disciples' response. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give us a sermon in a sentence. Here is where we are headed today. I wanna to say it right out front. Here's the sermon in a sentence, what I hope to unpack over the next 30 minutes. The authority of Jesus over nature is meant to produce in us a great calm in our challenging circumstances and a great awe of our awesome God. That's the point of this passage. That's what I hope to unpack with you for just a few moments. And I wanna do it by looking at three shifts of this story. Here they are. A great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. 
You see the verses there, it just tracks through this passage of scripture, a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. That word great is used in the outline because the word great is used in the word of God. It doesn't just talk about an ordinary storm or a regular calm or an everyday fear. It's a great storm and a great calm and a great fear. In fact, in the original language, Greek, that word great is the word megas. We get our English word mega. This is a a mega storm, a mega calm and a mega fear. We're gonna see that as we make our way through this story verse by verse. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Amen. A great storm, we'll start in verse 37. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? wants to feel the emotion of this story. It says there's a great windstorm, but not only does the original language make it much harsher than that, our logic would make it seem much harsher than that, and I'll explain why. See, this windstorm in the original language actually speaks to more of like a hurricane. This is a serious storm. This is no everyday storm. It's a, a megas storm. And logically, that makes sense because let me remind you, many of the people in this boat with Jesus are fishermen, meaning they've spent hours and hours and days of their lives on the boat on this very lake or sea. So a little regular storm for fishermen is no big deal. This must have been a serious, great, megas storm for the disciples to be freaking out like they are. I don't know about you, but I'll just out myself. When it comes to flying, I am a serious sissy when it comes to anything turbulence. Anybody else? Like at, a, at, at the slightest little jolt, I'm grabbing the armrest. I'm like, ah! I've seen way too many movies. <laughs> and I've learned a little trick that I wanna encourage you with. If I'm ever freaking out about something, it's like shaky and the captain comes on and tells us it's gonna be a little bumpy, fasten seatbelt signs going on, and I'm grabbing the armchair armrest with everything I got. I always now look at the flight attendants. Talk to a couple flight attendants after our Thursday night service. They're like, yes, people do this. Why? Because I've done that before where I'm freaking out. Ah, we're going down. And I look at the flight attendants and they're pouring their drinks for people. They're scrolling their phones, not a care in the world. And so what does that do for me? That gives me some peace. Listen, the professionals are okay. And I praise God, this has never happened to me, but if I'm ever in a plane and there's some turbulence and I grab my armchair, armrest, and I'm freaking out and I look over and the flight attendants are strapping down and they're grabbing their armrests, I'm gonna start freaking out. Why? Because when the professionals start freaking out, something big is going down. Listen. These are the flight attendants of the Sea of Galilee. They've flown this sea. They've sailed this sea hundreds and thousands of times. So if they're strapping down and grabbing the armrest and freaking out, this is a mega storm. We see this type of storm a couple times in Scripture. Another one you may be familiar with is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament book of Jonah, We see something very similar, a storm, men being fearful. But there's a lot that's different about the Old Testament story of Jonah. If you don't know the story, I encourage you to go read that short book of the Bible, the book of Jonah. But the story is God told the prophet Jonah 
to go preach repentance to a city called Nineveh. It was on God's heart that Jonah would preach repentance to the city called Nineveh. And Jonah, being the very obedient prophet that he was, went the complete opposite direction. <laughs> if you look, look, go look at the geography, Nineveh is this way, where Jonah went is that way. No, God, I'm good. <laughs> Completely disobeyed the voice of God. But God had a plan for Jonah. God had a plan for Nineveh. So God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention in his fleeing. Let's look at it in Jonah chapter one, verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The Old Testament is primarily written in the Hebrew language, but it has been translated into the Greek language in what's known as the Septuagint. And the Septuagint actually translates Jonah 1.4 with the same word we have in Mark 4, which is megas. It's the same kind of storm on these waters. Although the storm may have looked the same, the intentions of the people in the storm could not be more different. What do I mean? Well, Jonah was fleeing the will of God. He had a very clear word from God. He was fleeing that word. And the disciples, as you've already seen, were actually directly in the center of God's will. See, Jonah was fleeing what God said to him. The disciples were following what God said to them. Jesus is God in the flesh. They were literally following exactly what God had told them to do. And yet they both find themselves in these storms. Love how Warren Wearsby talked about these two ideas. He said, Jonah ended up in a storm because of his disobedience, but the disciples got into a storm because of their obedience to the Lord. It's really important to, to press into these ideas because when we're reading a story like this, it's, it's impossible to read this and to not think of the things in our own lives that we would categorize as storms. Some of you right now, I wanna be sensitive, in a room this size, some of you right now are walking through some choppy waters of life. It is not smooth sailing for you. It is in fact stormy in your midst. And I believe what Warren Wearsby said and what we're learning about these two different stories is true of our lives as well. Let's look at this principle. Some storms come into our lives from our disobedience to God. Some storms come into our lives from our obedience. This next line is crucial. We're gonna pause here for a moment. All storms come into our lives through God's sovereignty. And I just wanna press into this idea for just a moment. Because some of you are here and you're walking through a storm in life and you know it is because you are fleeing the will of God for your life. If you read the story of Jonah, once the, the storm came, he literally knew it was his fault. He told the guys on the boat, guys, uh, this one's on me. <laughs> this is my fault. Go read the story. I know exactly why we're in this storm and his name is Jonah. <laughs> Some of you are here today and you know what you're walking through in your life is a direct correlation to you being obedient to what God has called you to do in your life. May this just be a word for you to repent and come back. But there's others of you here today that like the disciples, you are, you are faithfully following what God has called you to do. 
You are in the middle of the Lord's will, and yet still you find yourself in the middle of the storm. It's important for us to understand God has you there for a purpose. In his sovereignty, he has allowed it. Or maybe for some of us, he's even decreed it to happen. Let's think about it. It's not explicitly in this story, but it is implicitly in the story. Jesus led them into this storm. This is a beautiful story. We'll see several times today of the humanity and the the deity of Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. You better believe when they got in that boat and he said, let's go to the other side. He knew exactly what they were going to be going through in the storm. Jesus led them into the storm for a purpose. And we just need to sit under that truth for just a moment, as hard as it may be. There is not one thing that happens in the universe apart from the sovereign hand of God allowing it. Nothing big, nothing small, nothing micro, nothing megas passes through the loving, sovereign, good hands of God for our lives. There is not a storm that happens in your life that God did not allow. And I know that's hard. Because some of you have felt exactly what the disciples felt in verse 37. They're cruising along on the Sea of Galilee. Maybe they're talking about the amazing ministry they experienced this day, the miracles they've seen Jesus do. They're, They're basking in the glory of what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus is with them in the boat. And the text says, out of nowhere, a windstorm arose. See, that's some of your story today. I've already prayed with several people in the last two services where you're just cruising along in the boat of life. You think Jesus is with me. There's no storms around. And seemingly out of nowhere, the cancer diagnosis storms into your life. Or the other diagnosis that you did not expect out of nowhere comes crashing into your life. You're thinking, I got Jesus with me. And the the waters seem pretty minimal. There's not a lot of waves or wind around in my life. And seemingly out of nowhere, adultery enters the story of your marriage and flips everything upside down. Mega storm. Still others of us are walking through, sailing through this thing called life. Smooth sailing up to this point and out of nowhere, the layoff happens or the breakup that you didn't expect, or the hurricane of debt that seems all-encompassing, or the child that you raised to walk in the Lord is now obstinately not following him and proud of it. Mega storm. I want you to hear today from the word of God, whether you're in the storm because you've been obedient or you're in the storm because you've been disobedient, God has allowed this storm to seemingly overtake your life for a purpose that the disciples saw and that we're gonna see. But it actually got worse before it got better for the disciples. They're freaking out. They're wondering what's gonna happen and they look and where is Jesus? He's sleeping. Perhaps nowhere in scripture is the humanity and the deity of Jesus. I've already said it, so beautifully juxtaposed. God in the flesh, 100% man, may have been tired after an exhausting day of ministry. He is sleeping in the boat. 
at rest in the same storm, but he's not freaking out. He's at peace. And we'll see in just a moment, that same man will stand up in all his deity and with a couple words, shut it all down with exousia authority. But don't miss this. When the disciples are terrified, Jesus is taking a nap. He's in the same storm, but he's not doing what the disciples are doing. And the disciples are not amused. I imagine some of you are here today and you are not amused with how God is handling your storm. Like you're just like the disciples. If you're honest, you're thinking God is sleeping on my situation. The only one who can do anything about what is happening in my life seems to be checked out. And you're asking the question, where are you, God? Because I'm in a, a mega storm and you seem to be checked out. That's exactly what the disciples thought. That's why they asked, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Notice it doesn't say, teacher, save us. Teacher, we've seen you do it. Do your miracle thing. Like that stuff we've already seen you do. Do it again. We're freaking out. Or maybe even quieter to, to try to, to be a little polite. Jesus, pretty please. It's scary out here. I know you've been napping and counting sheep, but like we're freaking out here. We're dying. Do you not care? Some of you today are feeling exactly like the disciples felt. Notice this is not a request of Jesus. This is an accusation against Jesus. Some of you are way past requesting. <laughs> You've accused God. What are you doing? If you're so good, where are you? Why are you so seemingly apathetic to my suffering, God? I keep going to church and they keep singing these songs about how good you are. I don't see it. That's where the disciples are. You better believe there was a hurricane going on around them. There may be a hurricane going on around you of circumstances, but maybe like the disciples, there wasn't just a hurricane around them. There was a hurricane inside of them. They were having a crisis of faith in this moment. Maybe like some of you, and I love the story, Jesus wakes up and he brings a great calm to both. Let's look at it in verse 39, a great calm. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Many of you have heard the story. It's a good Sunday school story, seen depictions of this. And if we're not careful, we read this in a very sanitized way. But again, I want you to feel the emotion. Imagine this scene. There's a hurricane. There's water everywhere. It says there's water filling up the boat. The boat's going down. The boat's breaking. It says there's other boats. So there may be other boats that have already started to go down. They hear screaming from other boats. They're dying. Jesus wakes up. And with two words, in English it's three, but in the Greek it's two words. He says, peace, be still. This word peace everywhere else in the New Testament, it's actually translated, be quiet. This word be still is a word that means to muzzle an animal. Talk about exousia. Jesus wakes up and tells nature, tells creation, 
stands up over a hurricane and says, shut up. And creation immediately listens. Exousia. In this moment of chaos, Jesus brings a great calm with his words. Be quiet. I'm about to muzzle you, storm. You're done. And it listens. And here's the biggest, most important turn on this message that you need to lean into. This right here is the point of this story. I think that's important for us as a church to grasp because some of you have heard this story and it's been taught in such a way where it's like Jesus can, Jesus can still all your storms. Whatever storm you got, Jesus can still it. Yes, that is true. But we've subscribed so many times to a very individualistic, modern American Christianity that views this book primarily for what God can do for me. We need to know as a church family, we will consistently tell us as a church family, this book is not primarily about us and our story. This book is primarily about God and his glory. And this story is a story about not him getting us through our storms, but about his authority over our storms. It's important. Those might sound similar, but there is a world of difference between those things. This is not about our storms. Ultimately, this story is a story about the beauty and the majesty and the authority of Christ. Don't get me wrong, we are loved, accepted children of God. This book tells that beautiful story, but ultimately, it is a story about Jesus having authority over the storms. And of course, we're gonna learn some things about how to navigate storms. But I believe the primary purpose of this story is to get us all to verses 40 and 41. This great fear. Let's look at it in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This this raging storm is is stilled in a moment. The only sound now is the, the gentle waves lapping up against the boat. Silence. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you still don't believe? The structure of the original language shows that it's actually an asking a question of, have you not believed yet? It's almost Jesus saying, I'm gonna continue to show you. I'm gonna progressively show you over and over again, day by day, step by step, that I have all the power and authority and I'm with you. We just sang it, not for a minute am I forsaken. Why? Because he's with us. This is the point of the story, that the one who has all authority is with you in this boat called life. It's not that he can just get you through the storms. See, a lot of times we use Jesus as a a tool to get us through the storms, and then, hey, I'll, I'll get you when I need you again, Jesus. This story is about us seeing he has authority over the storm, and it would lead us all to what the disciples did, which is to go, whoa. Whoa. Literally caused fear in them. They were standing in the presence of ultimate 
authority. Matthew, another gospel writer, told this story. And after Jesus calmed the storm, look what it says in Matthew 8, verse 27. The men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Listen, if you underline in your Bible, underline Matthew chapter 8, underline Mark chapter 4, underline those words, because that is the point of the story. That no matter what your storm looks like, that we wouldn't just want to get through it, but we would see in the midst of it, and we would stand in the midst of it at awe and marvel and fear the one who has authority over our circumstances. Notice the disciples were not marveling about the circumstances. They weren't leaning over the boat going, wow, there's no more wind and waves. They weren't looking around them and, and marveling at their circumstances. They were marveling at the one who changed their circumstances. That's the point. I read a pastor who had a sermon about this that, that said it so good. He said, to marvel at changed circumstances is as foolish as marveling at the basketball that goes through the hoop on the game-winning shot. Could you imagine? Wow, I gotta hold that ball. Ball, you did such a great job winning that game. No, that's crazy. You don't marvel at the basketball. You marvel at the one who shot it. And the disciples are marveling at the one who shot it. Whoa. Fear. I don't like that word sometimes, but that's literally the word. It's like, whoa. There's a reverence, an astonishment, a marvel, not at the changed circumstances, but at the one who changed them. That's what I believe is the point of the story. And not only the point of the story, I want us to think about this. What if that was the point of the storm all along? What if the point of the storm all along was for this moment of marvel? That Jesus knew he was gonna lead them right into the eye of the storm so that he would still show his authority over it and all of them would stand back and say, whoa. You better believe the disciples got to the other side a very different kind of people than when they got in the boat. They had seen a miracle happen by the words of this man that they are following that made them marvel. Some of us right now are walking through storms. What if standing in awe, in fear and reverence of God isn't just the point of him getting you through the storm, but is actually the point of the storm altogether? That you're walking through what you're walking through right now so that you could have a moment of marvel to say, whoa, God, and I know in the midst of the storm, that's probably really hard to hear. But seeing the God who has authority over our storms is the point of the storms. It's been used for centuries all throughout his word and history as a tool in the hand of a sovereign God for our growth. Trials and circumstances, that's how we grow. I love how R. Kent Hughes said it. He said, they had no way at that terrible moment of knowing it, but that miserable storm was a vehicle for teaching them about God and his power in their lives. This is so important. The storm was essential to their spiritual development. What if the storm you're walking through right now, child of God, is essential to your formation as a disciple of Jesus? 
and you're asking it to go away, but he's actually growing you in it. Here we see the principle of universal and spiritual application. Without difficulties, trials, stresses, and even failures, we would never grow to be what we should become. Storms are part of the process of spiritual growth. I've prayed. I already prayed with a lot of people at the end of our service and the last two services. I've prayed if you're here today and you're walking through a storm, you would not just be hoping to get out of the storm. Maybe God will help me do that. But instead, in the midst of it, you would look to the one who has authority over it and who maybe even decreed it for your good and his glory. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Some of you are here today and you think your refuge and strength is getting through your storm. That's not the refuge and strength. Better circumstances, a better life, smoother waters. That's not the refuge and strength. God is your refuge and strength. He's the very present help in trouble. Listen, church family, if we are walking through a storm right now, or maybe you're just coming out of one, or maybe you're about to head into one and you don't even know it, are you marveling at the authority and the power of Jesus Christ in your life? Are you astonished by his goodness and grace in your life and his authority over all of creation? I hope you are, but if you're not, I have to tell you, God has shown time and time again, there is no better training to get us there than the storms of life, trial, suffering. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. But I love how the old pastor J.C. Ryle said it. He said, let us mark this well. There is nothing which shows our ignorance so much as our impatience under trouble. We forget that every trial is a message from God. If we're in a trial, maybe you start receiving it as a message from God today and intended to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. This is so hard to hear, but so good. Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Prosperity is a great mercy, but adversity is a greater one if it brings us to Christ. Maybe the point of your storm today is that you would take your eyes off of the storm and up to the one who has all authority over it. So I hope you've seen, tried to convince you over the last 30 minutes that the authority of Jesus over nature is meant to produce in us a great calm in our challenging circumstances and a great awe of our awesome God. That's what the story of Jesus calming the storm is all about. It's not about us. It's about him and his authority and his goodness. And we're invited to, to gaze upon that and to stand in awe of that. I think the last question for all of us to ask is what Mark ends this passage with. The disciples ask in verse 41, they said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I think that's a question every single human being must answer. In fact, we will all answer that one day. And hopefully we will all answer that question on 
this side of eternity. Who then is this? This one who has all authority over creation, even the wind and the waves bow down to him. Who then is this? And you may be here today and you know he's your savior. You're a follower of Christ. And you've partaken of the, the good news of Jesus that in your sin, he came to die on the cross for it, paid the penalty for your sin and mine. Three days later, he got up out of the grave. You talk about ultimate exousia, authority over death. Now stands at the right hand of the Father, ready to save, and he has saved you, but you're right now walking through a storm, child of God, and you're looking straight down at your circumstances saying, God, get me through this, and he may wanna just tell you to raise your head tonight, today. Look to me, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who has authority over all the circumstances, not just in your life, but all the universe, and marvel at me. There's probably other here today that you don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people here today that you would not say you're a follower of Christ. You've never surrendered the control of your life over to Jesus. I hope you've heard from this story. All creation bows at his words. There is nobody like Jesus. There is no name under heaven by which we can be saved, Acts chapter 5 says, but his name. So if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, hear this from my heart. The wind and the waves, all of nature bows to him. Why won't you? Praise God, he's given you a chance. Before you meet him in glory, you can meet him here. You can surrender the control of your life to Christ and he'll save you. You don't have to do anything. In fact, you can't do anything. That's the good news of the gospel is that you and I could never do anything to earn it and still he gives it because he's that good and he's full of that much grace. So maybe you're here today and your call after hearing the story of the stilled storm is to surrender the control of your life to Christ. We're gonna have pastors up here in just a moment. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to have a conversation with you about how to begin to follow Jesus. Be no greater joy for us than to show you how to follow this all-powerful, all-authority God that we follow. But if you're a follower of Christ here today and you're walking through the storm, maybe you just wanna take some time at this altar, just ask the Lord for his grace to get your eyes off the storm and on to the one who has all authority over it. I know there's storms. We prayed with several people all the other two services. There's tons of storms. We wanna pray that God would get you through those storms, that he would get you through them with the right perspective of who he is. So let us pray for you. If you're going through storms, let's come down to our pastors. Let us put our hands on you and pray for you and ask God to do a miracle in your life, but that you would leave having a bigger view of him and his power. So Holy Spirit, whatever it is you desire to do in this place, you are the God with all authority. We bow down and submit to you right now. Would every person in the room, their hearts be turned toward you in this moment, responding in obedience to whatever you're calling them to. We trust you, Lord. We thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's worship together.